welcome, welcome, welcome back to Honestly Speaking. Are you a subscriber yet? I know I asked you last time, but if you're not, subscribe, write a review, help us grow. Today, we get into Favre's continued road trip, his progress, how he feels about the election. We do some post-VP debate analysis. Uh, we talk about the two-party system. Is there room for third-party candidates? And lastly, we talk about the attempted kidnap of Michigan Governor Gretchen Whitmere. Lots to go in. Listen up. Dad, we're back, still on the road, out of Trump country though, finally. I'm in very consistently blue Venice, California. Damn, California, where your votes don't even really matter in comparison to where you came from. Yeah, not, not really. It's funny, the first Biden sign that I saw in about, I don't know, 3,500 miles was Lake Tahoe, <laughs> which I guess is not shocking. Did you feel safe when you saw that sign? Was it like, you know, was it like, it like a sign of, of certain, a certain kind of civilization? A little like bit. Like a safe space? You're entering it's, a safe space? It sounds like really stuck up and snotty to say that. But I, I definitely was like, oh, there's like, the funny thing too is it's, not, it's never just a Biden sign. Then you see like a Black Lives Matter sign, which, yeah. is, a whole, which is a whole thing too. Because you're like, wh- wh- where on the pendulum are you? on with that anyway but um but no it, it's funny it's like oh okay we're we're, we're back in a a place of, of, of discourse i can put my mask back on definitely mask went back on but the funny thing is i was on the nevada side so everyone was you know they might be for biden but they're also for just avoiding taxes which, yeah. which i don't like not get by the way i'm not trying to totally demonize but it's not a. <laughs> It's not a, it's not a, that, that area wasn't a full necessary, uh, like we're in it for the programs and helping people and other things. And that's a mixed bag. That's a, a mixed bag ideology. Definitely. Definitely. It gets complicated in the, in the parties. Everybody's like, it's a two party system, but like in the parties, there's a lot of division. Yeah. And I'm going to blow up our whole idea of what we were going to talk about. Cause you actually just hit on something. I've been, it just keeps coming up. So a friend of mine, She's been tweeting like crazy. I don't think she follow. I don't know if she listens to the pod or not, but always thought she was like excitingly kind of damn person. And she definitely skews that way, but she's been hot on her Twitter on like a third party kind of libertarian ish, you know, like she's definitely one of the people who's having a hard time with the media, which makes sense. There's, there's definitely loaded up phrasing, but just there's been a lot, seen a lot of retweeting of like, well, you have a third option, whoever like the third option is in the libertarian party who I'm totally blanking on. So, you know, it's like that whole like counter wave. And then you always, right now you're hearing all these people like, I just wish there was like a third option. And then I'm like, well, is the third option ever going to be enough or do we need a fourth option or do we need a fifth option? And I'm curious of like where, you, you know, like England, I think is typically three, but where do you fall in this whole conversation? And like discounting the fact that like usually the third option is just some quack libertarian who like isn't really a viable candidate, but like if there was right. someone more viable. Ralph Nader. 
I don't know. The third option thing is with the third sort of the third option candidate or the third party candidates, they always usually do Joe Jorgensen. That's right. What's his name? name. Uh, It's her, Joe Jorgensen. She's the one running for the Jorgensen. Oh, you know, they're like, they're like, you know, they're the like, we want no taxes, no programs, but they're usually for like, you know, legalizing marijuana and yada, yada. But then, then they're like, conservative in a lot of social programs it's like it's a kind of a mixed bag third party candidates always do better with the youth youth vote they always do way better with um youth voters and, than and people who are just like just don't care or just like feel just alienated and annoyed and frustrated and like without hope or have a have, i think a severe distrust of the systems you know the people who yeah, say absolutely. that both candidates are the same or basically the same feel that like like YOLO, I'll, I'll go Joe or Jill Stein. Yeah. Yeah, that happens. I think it's, that's so, it's so cyclical with every generation. The young people who are always blow up the system are always the people, are always the young people that don't truly understand the system, I would say, but are so down to blow it up from what they understand it. You know, out of college, just when you're kind of coming into your societal consciousness out of your bubble you're actually working for the first time, mid, late 20s, early 30s, mid 30s. You're like, blow all this shit up. And then the third party candidate looks really, really good. And then they win a huge portion of the youth vote that doesn't go to the establishment candidates that are prob- that are the two party candidates. And I mean, that's a huge reason why Bernie is an independent. He's not, he was, well, he, you know, he was not part of the Democratic Party. He was basically a third party candidate that had the youth vote that folded into the Democratic party and brought the youth with them and re-energized the democratic party for that so there are spaces for that and i think the democratic party is more so this newer coalition of establishment dems with people who would be third party uh you know the aoc supporters the bernie supporter supporters the cory bush supporters and they're kind of folded in and now there's the democratic party is the factions are kind of warring with each other so i think it, it gets complicated like that versus always oh, they're literally just a third party person on the ballot that we can vote for um, every now and then. So I think it's, it blends in with party stuff. And even like Trump, I don't even know, he was not an establishment Republican. The Republican party hated him. He was kind of this other third or fourth party person that got folded into the Republican party on the other side. So I think there well, you, are, you, there you, is room for You get for folded that. in to win. I guess, I guess yeah. that's where I don't understand how like it works, right? Because let's just say, so in, in the Democratic Party right now, like I think we very much feel that there is the moderate wing and the progressive wing. The moderate wing yeah. wants to say they're for fracking. They want to be, say they're against the Green New Deal. They they want to say that they're not for you know, de, you know defunding the police. The progressive party feels very different on that, right? I mean, yeah, you basically have the Bernie wing and the Biden wing. The Biden wing, I guess, won this one out barely. But you know, if you then let's just say you that let's just say those were the two parties and the, and the Republicans still had their thing and, and maybe there was still a libertarian. So let's just say there was like the four. Well, then the Republicans are just going to clean house. <laughs> I think maybe I'm wrong on that. But like, if you have like all of those people running on the electoral ticket, then you're just totally split. And we know that the Republican party, if there's one thing they do well is they band together their coalition to, you know, to be united. So it's like, I want to have these different viewpoints and like feel good that I can like vote within something. But like, 
once again, you're not going to just vote to like throw away the vote. And like, everyone's like, you know, the, this, this crew that's like, you're not throwing away your vote by voting your third party. I'm like, how are you not? Yeah. Like, I, I, I just, I don't understand. You clearly, you clearly are. Like, it's literally, especially if you're someone who feels like, how can you not be convinced that a vote for Jill Stein was not a vote for Donald Trump in 2016? Like, you, yeah. if you can't do that math, then like, I don't even know how I could have a conversation with you. Yeah, there's that. There's just, there's just kind of the matter of fact how the votes shake out. And yeah, third party candidates, 2016, you were definitely throwing away your vote. But I, the, the whole two party system is deceiving in that before the 60s, there was basically a four party system in that the party broke down into these regional factions more so, and they were not, the parties were not as unitary as they are now. And the big change happened with the civil rights movement in the 60s when the federal government came in to put in these sweeping measures that realigned the party. Before that, it was, it was basically, yeah, a four party system. There were black people in the Republican party still from, from the, the, you know, they were Lincoln Republicans. And then there were, there's a faction of black people, well, who could vote in the North before the Voting Rights Act that were on the Democratic Party who liked the New Deal stuff. And then same with, with kind of white people split between conservative Democrats and conservative Republicans. So it was a lot more complicated back then, but the 60s simplified it into a, into a, a true two-party system that we have now. Is your, is your gut, though, that we, that we do need to get back to a four-party system? Um, I've been thinking about this. The problem with the four-party system that, that existed before the 60s was that when you didn't quite, when you were voting with your party, or you could, you could you know, do split-ticket voting. Maybe you voted for a Republican president, but you voted for a Democratic congressperson, just because how things were laid out regionally. If when you voted for a, a party in kind of a down-ballot way, you didn't really know what you were voting for because there were, there, were, there were less clear signals. It was more complicated and it was more dependent on where you lived in the country versus now these parties are much more national than they are regional. So it is simplified now in uh, the bright line is Democrats are more progressive slash moderate. Republicans are more just sort of right wing regressive conservative. So the two party system helps to clarify things, which I think is good. And that's the way that polarization is not necessarily bad. Um, it creates clear signals for where you want to stand and, and where you want your party to stand. But it does create more of a contrast that is harder for compromise. It just depends on kind of what you want to compromise. So I think that I like that things are more simple now, like the Democratic Party is the party of civil rights and can be, and there's the progressive faction, which I align with is in that party. And we can deal we can deal with it in terms of some in-party fighting. But I just know that I'm never going to probably, unless there's another party realignment, as long as I live, ever vote for Republicans, because you kind of know where they stand. Unless there's some big, big kind of purge in that party in a way that is is um completely changes the identity of that side. So there's ups and downs, but from what I understand about early 20th century four-party system, things were just a lot more confusing and it was harder to align big coalitions to move, to do big things. Yeah, no, uh, I feel that way. I mean, we're all, I think we all 
sometimes feel like, wow, I wish we had more candidates and, 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 and more parties. Right. I do feel that way, but there is something that clarifies at least like where you have to stand. And, you know, the, there could be improvements to the way we do primaries and it can be less establishment heavy and, you know, the party leaders and the electors. I mean, I just think like a new governing body, like removing the DNC and the RNC from the rulemaking. Yeah. Yeah. You know, I, I think that to some extent there could be some good things there, but ultimately, listen, man, you get rid of the electoral college and you make, you make the general election actually, you know, a popular vote that completely changes the party dynamic automatically. So, I mean, you know, the party system that we have and we complain about is premised on an electoral process that was built early in the country in, in, in a way that doesn't work in a, in, a, in a modern way we need it to work now. So, like, those are other things that can actually change the dynamic rather than totally fixating on just the, the party system, you know? So I want to jump to the, to the debates, but, like, to, like, blend these two things together. I saw someone talking about the fact of like, imagine it in a non-electoral system world where we actually yeah. talked about the fires burning in California instead of like fracking to win the random Pennsylvania voter. Like, you know, the things we're talking about are always very specific for like the Pennsylvania, Michigan, whatever person, as opposed to like, you know, like the juggernaut state, which is California, fifth biggest economy in the world, like all these different things. But of course, like is never addressed. <laughs> Right. In conversations, because everyone knows it's just going blue, even though we have like trillions of dollars in damage and climate and like economic issues that actually impact the entire country, yep. but then aren't discussed. Um, I mean, just it, it seems like a pretty inane thing um, when you look at the totality, like especially towards GDP and other stuff. Look, I think we both agree that debates only do so much, but How'd you feel? Who do you, who do you think won the debate? It was a debate that was more along the lines of the kind of debate etiquette we're used to, you know, pre, pre-Trump. It was, Which actually was refreshing. I felt like I could watch it with a little bit more yeah. sanity. Yeah, exactly. Like they're Senator Harris and, and Pence, they're actually going to, to get out their full thoughts with, there was still, you know, some interruptions, but um, it was, there was a stark difference between the president debate I, don't know, I thought I thought that Harris won. I mean, it's you're right. The debates don't really. Maybe they move the need. You look at the pollings that happen state by state right after debates, and there's some points that shoot up, but they tend to bounce back to where they were um, before the debate. So it moves things um, not in a permanent way when it comes to kind of polling data. Things tend to just kind of bounce back. So I think that was the same for VP. I think Senator Harris won. And she got more points across. She just had more ammo. It's always a question of when Biden goes up there and Harris is like, damn, you can nail these guys on so many things. What do you pick? What do you prioritize? And I think with her, with health care, she really kind of nailed a lot of things down in a good way. What was interesting, the dynamic, and people talked about the gender dynamics of, well, Pence wasn't letting her finish. And, and um, you know, there's clearly oh, that was Pence very mansplaining. Overblown. Yeah, I thought I kind of thought it was overblown too. I mean, it might be true, but I think it's a debate. The, People cut each other off. It's a debate, but also on the other side, Kamala is just sort of keenly aware of avoiding being kind of looked at as the angry black woman. That that 
creates obstacles for her and that she can't, you know, I don't think she pulled out her full prosecutor bag. Like I wish she would have interrupted uh, she was more. She was super, super light and super like pulling some punches and, and like, you know, you know, uh, you know, Vice President Pence, let me speak with a smile and all of these things. It was very much. Which was um, planned. That was her debate prep. It was, it was completely her, her debate. It was her debate prep. prep to not be the angry black woman, but yeah. also to trap him into like, oh, now we can say the man's playing. Like she was waiting yeah. to basically like pause and say, let me finish. So all the bloggers could be like, every woman knows this thing. And I'm not saying yeah. it's like wrong, but like homie wasn't like that aggressive. On yeah, her. I don't, I really don't think he was that aggressive, honestly. Like I, 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 I don't I like it. dude for a, a second, but like, I can be a little bit impartial here and say, okay, like I thought it was good gamesmanship on her part. It makes for good yeah. political theater, but you know. Yeah. I yeah. just, I just wish she wasn't like, she wasn't chained with, you know, the respectability politics of being a proper black woman. I wanted her to go to unleash more, but that well, probably would have hurt her with moderate Dems. Like she's got, she's got the double, right? She's got the one where she's a woman. And then on top of it, she's the black woman, right? So women, exactly. as a rule of thumb, always get the, like, they're too aggressive. They're too this, they're too that. And then the black woman on, you know, level times, whatever. So yeah, it, it is annoying that she had to like play it so nice. Cause you know, my favorite is like when she was ripping Kavanaugh, which of course Republicans lose their right. minds on, but that that's when she's like my favorite. Cause that actually just yeah. shows her raw, like just like spirit, intellect, all the things. I mean, or even she, she ripped Biden harder in the primary yeah, she, debates. She did. So this, she was, I don't know. She just, I felt like she was pulling a punch. She was still dope. I think she still won. Cause Pence is like, what can you say? Pence just has to cover for the president the entire time. And I mean, Pence you know, the, like little, his, his little punches. That, and I think it's things that Trump said too, but they keep saying, which mind you, I think do work for a moderate and swing crowd bit is the Biden's been in, in Congress for 47 years. I think it's one of their strongest things that they say over and over again. What has he done? Trump was a businessman, came in, and whether you like what he's done or not, he like did start building a wall. <laughs> he did boot out Muslims. He did get Supreme Court judges. Like He actually can run on his record for, for a negative and a positive. <laughs> but like... Yeah. If you take out like what he's actually done, he has done things. So you can't not say Trump doesn't get shit done because true, he kind of does in a yeah, crazy. I mean, he had the Senate, uh, yeah. So in 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 partnership with McConnell in the Senate, he definitely got more things done than a president well, there's, who. There's reasons. Let me like they're smart when they say like, what did Bi Biden do with Obama? He did. He left all these judges out. I couldn't believe, and that was in the last debate, that they left that hanging and didn't actually say, well, yeah, because we didn't have the votes. It had nothing to do <laughs> with like <laughs> what we wanted to do or not do. But to give them credit, those were good punches. Like yeah. those are good. But that was good. That, that stick for for. The people, for the voters that overlook the true separation of powers on how you need branches that are co-equal to work together, and you think the president just has this unilateral power to do things, and if you think that that is the case and you say, this person didn't get done, it's like, oh, why didn't you get that done? I think that works for those kinds of voters that don't you know, understand the whole nuances of, of government. So I think that that makes sense as a strategy. But like, yeah, once you, once you understand that, 
Obama didn't have the Senate. He had the Senate for one year or something before the midterms or two years. And, and, then, it, and then it switched. And then he just was obstructed for six of his eight years. Yeah, no, it's, uh, I mean, that, that, that's, that's the game. But um, yeah, I felt like, I thought, look, Pence, you know, to Democrats is awful and boring and a robot and whatever. He had to fly, blah, 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 blah. Yeah, yeah. If, if you were a, a conservative Republican, whatever, I'm sure you saw a guy who wasn't super entertaining, but was clean, was clear, was, was respectable. Right, right. Quote, unquote. And did what he needed to do. I don't think he did a poor job. If anything, I was like, God, he, he, he's, you know, he's, he does a pretty good job of just saying the terrible shit that they've done in a nice, cleaner, packaged way. Definitely. He, he sanitizes it. And maybe he's running for president. What if they yeah. get reelected and Trump is, you know, Pence could be president. Was this part of his campaign for president? Maybe in some weird counterfactual way it could have been if Pence ends up there. Yeah. What do you think? Because one of the things is, well, because one of the things is that no matter who wins, this will be the oldest president in American history. Totally. So it's really interesting. I was was reading about, you know, they love, Republicans love talking about like late term abortions, like late term abortions. It's like the the boogeyman of the thing. Like they make it sound like, I I wish I had the percentage on it. It's some like super duper, like low percentage type thing that they like basically make Democrats like into thinking that we're just like giddy for eight month in abortions. Like, right. Yeah. Cause it's, it's cause it's, it isn't based on anything that's statistical or, or science. Yeah. The, the, I remember he said he was like, he was like, what did he say? He was like, um, you know, Senator Harris and Biden, they're up for abortions up until birth. I was like, what is this crazy madness? It's the boogeyman thing. It's, you know, it's the whole scare tactic thing that masks what's actually going on, which is to, you know, kind of uh, curb the agency of, of women and their reproductive autonomy. Um, you know, that's what's really going on, you know, which was, we, we can get into kind of the larger thing. But the, to, to, to mask it with these weird um, superficial scare taxes, it's kind of hilarious. You're right. It's not based on anything that's in sort of objective reality. It's so funny because when you take a step back, though, really, the debate is just really, I don't want to say it's, they're basically both scare tactics on both ends. I think one is, is, not, is less scare tactics and more reality. But when you like just take it for what it is, you know, it's like the Dems, they're going to take your insurance, you're going to lose your insurance. The Republicans are like, they're going to be killing babies. <laughs> like, right. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. It's this, it's this very interesting, like tit for tat. Like one, I think is based in a bit more, I mean, look. I don't want to say that like the Dems don't use hyperbole also and like stretch it a bit. Like there's definitely certain things like, you know, let's be a little bit fair here. The economy would have been trash under a democratic president right now. Like we would have been in a situation with COVID. I would like to hope that someone would have done something that would have like gotten the country back on track faster. But there's also a part of me that feels like, okay, maybe they would have taken it a lot more seriously. But then there would have, could have been Trump people not in office still yelling about not wearing masks and people still would have not worn masks. And even with a better leader, we're so divided, we would have actually gotten to the same computation. So I kind of think like maybe there's different degrees of like how not great our economy would have been. But, you know, it's like the economy was revving before this. And, you know, 
it's really like a good talking point to be like, and Trump's going to have the most job losses of all time and blah, blah, blah. And I'm not saying that like his way of handling it didn't help that cause, but it would have happened no matter what. You know, it's like, but we can't talk like that, right? It's like, no one wants to talk in like a nuanced adult way when it comes to debate, because it's like, you have to just get wins. But like, I don't know. It's kind of even annoying to me. I feel like for like a smarter, more informed voter, like you're just hearing these things and you're like, you're basically just giving really kind of simple sound bites for people who don't want to do any of the work. Yeah. No, it's all about sound bites and memes. And I wonder if there's, because there's so many Kamala memes that came out of it. Maybe that maybe there was a strategy for that going in. Maybe there was some like millennial oh, 100% was. campaign they, staff were like, listen, Kamala, make sure it's gonna it's just gonna be memeified this whole thing. Make sure you're aware of like the looks you give me give some good meme looks or something. Maybe is that is that kind of some built-in strategy that she goes in with, maybe? I think so a little bit, yeah, hundred percent. I mean, meme's such a thing. We also know that they have meme creators that they work with. I don't know about the looks, yeah. but I but I maybe a look, I 100%, I mean, we know that they were prepping for the like, you know, the whole like, don't talk to women like this or women know this thing. That was probably scripted before this even broke. Like they just knew that that would happen. Um, so I don't know. It, it, yeah. It's just, we're, we're 20 days thing, left. The, the economy point is interesting. I, if, we, if, if all of this happened under a Democrat, Democratic administration would it all have? I think the death toll definitely would have been fewer. Would still the economy high. still high? No, America still high. Just because of just 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 because of the inequality, we could have done any everything right. But just from our existing inequality, our numbers are going to be higher and disproportionate to other countries. So that's that. But would it be? You know, it's two hundred and ten thousand now. You know, definitely. I don't think under a Democratic administration. But the economy—that's a good point, Farb. Like, would this, this is just a happenstance thing. And yes, we can hit the Republicans over the head with this and say, you mess up the economy. But if the Dems were in, in charge, would the economy be similar? I don't know. I think. So, so one of the things they have know. going for them a little bit is like, you know, Trump and granted Trump didn't close the European borders, which we don't talk about, which actually brought in a ton of <laughs> COVID case. He always wants to give himself credit for closing the China, the China borders, even though it was already in Europe at that point. It's like, I actually like give in retrospect, give him some credit for closing that, but then he didn't do the other one, which hit just as hard. So, and then the other yeah. part of it is like, what would have been better never closing a border, but just having everyone wearing masks or people not wearing masks and like closing some borders. Like we've kind of found that masks are like incredibly effective. Of course, though his crowd doesn't think that's true, but of course it is fucking true. Um, I do think that there. I don't think mass. If if Trump was not president and this happened under under a president Hillary Clinton, I don't think the mask thing would be as salient. I think it would be. I think there would be pockets of, you know, of Republican populism against masks, but I don't think it would be this. Like I'm pretty. No, it it wouldn't be this because Trump is their fucking supreme leader and he didn't wear a mask. Like yeah, if if they didn't have that situation, they might have hated Hillary, but if the CDC had been telling them to wear a mask for the most part, people would have just been wearing a mask. The fact that the CDC and the doctors were saying one thing and then Trump was saying the other thing is what blurred this whole thing. And to diminish that impact is just like, you know, look, I'm happy to play the game and say that closing the, the China border did help some. Okay. It did help some, 
not closing the European border also didn't help some. And certainly telling hundreds of millions of Americans that masks, you know, weren't necessary didn't help some. <laughs> so, yeah. Well, it's not the closing. It just, this was just a, an, an opportunistic crisis that it came out of China. So Trump could racialize it. And he obviously with the Bob Woodard stuff, he knew earlier on, but he just closed the, the, the border to China because racialization is so key and integral to his campaign strategy. So that's, I mean, that, yeah, closing their borders, good, absolutely. But like all of the borders or however, the you know, just doing it in a real holistic thing that addressed the pandemic rather than the campaign strategy. It's all about the campaign strategy and, you know, just can't be compared to anything that was done in good faith. Yeah, that is, that is the but deal with it. I'll tell you yeah. what, the the whole Gretchen Whitmore kidnapping plot thing would not have happened under a president Hillary Clinton. I'm 100% sure of that. Well, actually, well, actually am I 100% I, sure? I don't know if I agree with that. You think it, I mean, you think it would have? I mean, they hated her so much. I mean, we don't know where the hatred would have gone. And like, just the, the, I mean, like Trump could have been just like a super Fox contributor, just <laughs> rousing hate from just another side. So I don't think that's necessarily true. I don't think he would have gone away. I think he would have been just as loud. I mean, not just as loud because he wouldn't have been president. It wouldn't have been as effective. But there could have been, in the same way, like the Tea Party was doing all sorts of shit while Obama was in power. Yes, the Tea Party. It all. And by the, the way, for people not listening, origin. and I'm not fully up on this, but the governor of Michigan, Gretchen Whitmer, like there was an attempt, attempted kidnapping of her by like some white, I don't know if they're white supremacists, but they're white clowns. Right. That's sorry, the we main shouldn't even question. call them supremacists. I think I agree with Jim. We're giving them too much kind of, they're, they're really just clowns. Well, having ties to like, and I'll, more will come out that sort of 13 people were charged with a conspiracy or a plan to kidnap Michigan Democratic Governor Gretchen Whitmore. Um, and this plan was, f- was foiled by the FBI. Like, so I guess federal state officials worked together and they, you know, they understood, but it wasn't just, it wasn't just about the kidnapping. They wanted to overthrow the government, a duly elected government. Um, they wanted to overthrow it and then what, get it, bring it back to the Republican party, which it was, uh, there was a Republican government before um, government Whitmore won the seat last year. So they kind of wanted to bring it back to a kind of home rule. And that's a loaded term, which I want to, which I want to get into, but yeah, it all launched with the Tea Party. It all launched with like government Palin. Like this thing, what the, the ground was laid. Palin was Trump before Trump. McCain is, tea, is and, and the Tea Party like, was, where this was going. It's crazy because we thought the Tea Party was insane. We couldn't even like dream of what QAnon was, would be. QAnon yeah. makes the Tea Party is like the equivalent of like Trump to like the first Bush. <laughs> Or not even the first one. I mean, that's a, that's a bad analogy. But, like, in the sense of, like, literally the Tea Party was as bad shit as it got at the time. And now it's like, hold my beer. Let's talk about, you know, pedophile <laughs> rings and, and like, in the, in the deep state. I mean, it's so fucking weird. These, but, it's, but it's no coincidence all these things are bubbling up. Like, this is a groundswell. This is a bottom-up populist movement thing. This is, this is, this is a reaction of people who feel like they're losing 
power. So you get these different groups in different states and they have different names, but the common denominator is the same thing. You know, they want the power that they perceive is lost or has been taken from them. And you can't not tie this attempt or they folded before it even started to happen. There was, it was at the planning stage or something, but it was a plan to overthrow the government, which included kidnapping uh, Governor Whitmore, Whitmer. And you ha- this just goes to like redemption after reconstruction. That's part of it. Trump rise to power, the Tea Party, like all of this thing is the backlash to Obama's presidency. So you have to, you can tie it back to the way that state governments regained power after the overthrow of reconstruction state by state by state. You know, these paramilitary groups of citizens at gunpoint push people out of this, you know, the state Senate, out of state legislators, out of the governor's, uh, governor's seats. Which is what um, the KKK did in the creation of yeah, post-reconstruction. The, the KKK, the Red Shirts, the White League, and you have these contemporary like odes to those things with the Proud Boys. You know, I, we'll see more how these connections uh, come about to if were these people like white nationalists or, you know, what were the ties? More will come out. But the overthrowing of state governments to get power back is just such a clear connection to the nadir after Reconstruction. They're like these sort of slow moving coups to to take down governments. Like it's just it's by force, by violence. It's just uh, it's it's there's a clear connection there. It's it's insane. Yeah, I mean, you know, why can't like we just get back to white people who just don't want to hear black people talk about the, <laughs> where they stand in the cast? Like, just just make it, just just like brush it off, nice and tight to the side. Why can't we just get back to that type of? Uh, yeah, we just get back to hating white fragility, like you know, the, the simpler times. Yeah. For real. So, so I want to I want to give a quick update on my trip because it's it's interesting. Yeah, we need that trip content, baby. So obviously, was was going through Trump country, and you know we've been not not the same way about to start ragging Dems or liberals. It's it's not necessarily that, but we'll we'll, we'll, get, we'll go into them a bit. But obviously, I was going through Trump country, and then you know you get into. The second we got into Tahoe, I've been like addicted to my air quality app. So anyone, who, any of our listeners on the West Coast, they know they're on Purple Air or any of these things. Oh, word. Because yeah. like, because the, the air is like a thing. Like I felt immediate, like when I got into Tahoe, like usually in New York City, if you look, if you looked at air quality, I'm assuming it's anywhere from like 10 to 40, right? And when I got into Tahoe, it was like 170. And like, what is it? What, like, what, what, what is that measurement? What is it? What is that? I forget what the measurement is, but like the air quality, I forget what it, the exact barometer, but basically like over a hundred, you're like starting to be like not healthy, like 150, 200, definitely not like you probably shouldn't be fully exercising over 200, like stay the fuck indoors. And then some, and, and then when like the fires have been really bad in some of these places, it's been like 300 to 500, 500. It's like, you're breathing that you're like inhaling like 30 packs of cigarettes, like a minute, like it's like awful, but I've definitely, you know, Anyway, we, we spoke about the top of this, of so just the fact that like, it's crazy that there's just this much devastation. Mind you, most of this is in national parks and you know, we don't really talk about this in elections, but um, so we got into San Francisco and the thing like you keep hearing when you're on here is everyone's like, man, like San Francisco is like a zombie town. Like it's just all the homeless people cruising around and many of which who obviously have like mental disturbances. 
and, de- and de- not, not gonna lie, like definitely, there's not like a lot of people like cruising on the streets. You do see an uptick of it. And I think this has been something that's always been this like definitely Republican talking point. Like look at the, you know, democratic cities that run by like the, the homeless hordes. Um, right. Yeah. That's a good spin on the, sorry, go ahead. But that's, that's and, and so now I'm, I'm in Venice beach and the joke is like on like, Rose Avenue, where I'm at, you can rent an apartment from zero dollars to thirty thousand dollars a month because it's like Rose is like half like tent city, like literally yeah. tent city right. for really high end things. But it's it's a wild deal. Like I went for a jog yesterday morning, and you know you go through like Venice Boardwalk, and it's tents everywhere. Everyone, you feel I almost felt like I was like needed to apologize for like <laughs> being in someone's like backyard. Because like yeah. everyone was getting out of their tents around like eight in the morning and like like basically like not showering but like getting ready for the morning, and then yeah. you like there's a Gold's Gym in Venice which many people know about, and there's a parking lot across, and there's tents everywhere, and then Rose Avenue is like kind of major thoroughfare across Lincoln Boulevard for like six blocks. There was tents all along this golf course for like blocks and blocks and blocks, and mind you, some of these tents also have like couch setups where it's like almost like little living rooms and so it's like it is this weird thing where it's like i can i it's such i can see where like it's so easy of a conservative talking point to trash like people saying that especially when you're in san francisco and mind you like i don't know like seeing a lot of needles like on streets right and everyone i've talked to like i was just in um had lunch with a friend of mine you know, shout out Uncle Damien. Uncle Damien speaks on Instagram. He's, he's 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 this dude who's like he does like youth work, mentorship, homeless work. He was formerly homeless, formerly incarcerated. Like he's in in the street as much as in the streets as you can be. Does a lot of work with the homeless. And I was like, dude, like, what's your thoughts on this? Like, you're someone who's experienced it. You work with it. And he was just like, I don't know, man. <laughs> like he couldn't even like give me like a strong like take like. He's like, obviously it's people's homes, but like people are wild. And like, and I was like, oh, wow. I thought you for sure were just going to be like, <laughs> people got the wrong opinion. <laughs> and mm-hmm. like, he was someone who's been like literally doing this work for decades in the community, experienced himself and like, will always do the work. He's not running away from it. It's important to him. And then I was like, man, I was like, it's wild that he didn't even feel like black and white on this issue, you know, or like just strongly on this issue. It kind of made, made him speechless. speechless. And then, you know, I'm walking around, I'm like, I'm a pretty progressive, empathetic person here. And I'm like, I, I'm not like, I don't think any, I actually, I was on the, I was on the, um, on the phone with a former uh, guest of ours who's running for DA and she didn't give me a lot, but she was like, look, like full stop, I would not criminalize, you know, I wouldn't criminalize people. And I was like, oh, of yeah. course not. Like, totally agree with that. But then I started thinking on my own, kind of being like, okay, but like, what what can be done here? Because it's like, it's not like, I think people think it's, it's immediately a safety issue for people who, cause they like freak out, which it's not right. I don't think it's that, but it is a, you know, just to like live somewhere and then to have tents everywhere is a, is a weird kind of deal where I think everyone's losing. It's like, I don't think these people should just be like finding the smallest crevices of street just to pop up. Some of them with mental issues, some of them because it's just like a, a lifestyle they want to do. I think majority is mental. But I feel like everyone's uncomfortable. 
I feel like the people who are homeless are frustrated or annoyed with the city and they're getting pushed around, but then they, they find places. And so they then get camaraderie and they hole up. And then a lot, sometimes they don't want to move into like even housing if they get offered it. Cause it's like, they're lonely then. And like part mm-hmm. of what these encampments actually bring them is actually like community, community. and love and things yeah. and things that they maybe haven't had. Maybe they've, you know, they've been kicked out of their families. Maybe they've lost jobs. Maybe they have been drug users, but they haven't been able to quit and no one will accept them, but these people will. Like, it's actually like a home and loving community. But then if you're someone also who's also building a family or living yourself and you're constantly like walking through like someone's home, you know, on the street and like they're, you know, you're like kind of walking through them, like putting, you know, they're brushing their hair. It's just, I don't know. Yeah. It, it seems nah. like everyone's kind of losing. And, and I was actually shocked because I've lived here before and I was like, man, this is like way more pronounced than I remember. And I can see where Republicans can rag this, but where I always, of course, push back on Republicans is they never have any fucking empathy for actually the human <laughs> condition of where do we get to things. And of course, all they want to do is send the police and sweep shit up as opposed to like, where do we actually come in here with a plan and think about programs and, and, and help, but I'm sure there are some and they just seemingly are failing. So anyway, that's, it's not a political update, but my head is very much into like, I see where this is a hot button issue. And I also see where I don't even know where I, I know where I feel, but because there isn't like a solution to point to, or there's not actually like a tangible like thing I could be like, Oh yeah, we definitely should be doing that. Like, when it comes to healthcare, I'm like, yeah, we should have more global access to healthcare. Like, you know, like with lower costs, like people need access to universal healthcare. Like, I get that. When, with it, this, it's not as simple as like everyone needs access to a home because some of them actually don't necessarily want to move in somewhere. Right. I think there's a lot of things going on there. And I, I wish I, you know, I haven't, I haven't really been out there. We love an expert on this topic, by the way. No, we should. I think we should definitely get an expert, but I think there's a lot of different dimensions to what you're describing. Well, I mean, number one, the um, government withdrawing from the sort of the housing business or housing as a right is a bipartisan achievement. So there's no one party to blame for that. There's just sort of government as a whole deciding that they want to disinvest from public housing, affordable housing, and invest in suburbs and highways using and sometimes, uh, uh, you know, putting those highways and in, in splitting cities apart and disrupting, you know, city communities. So, you know, there's no sort of one party to blame, but it's an easy way to score in, in, a, in a more like presentist way, like Republicans said, look at all the democratic cities and all the homelessness, that's Democrats fault. Like this, this is an easy way to, to sort of say that. I mean, so that's, I mean, that's number one. But number two, you talked about how these people are building community. No matter what kind of conditions that you find yourself in, just throughout, you know. The way that's what seven, Skid Row is. I, and, yeah. I, and I never knew this until I, I started spending time there in like 2015, 2016. Skid Row, you know, has been this infamous, like, quote unquote, hellhole that people have always thought about. And there's definitely certain safety issues. But when you spend time there and you talk to people, it's actually their, it's their home. It's their community. It's actually the place that's embraced them. And I know that's really hard for people to understand, but that's, that's a real thing in this really fucking lonely world. Yeah. There's, I mean, I think you can, you can, 
you can separate two things. When you talk about home and community, it's something different from an air-conditioned unit of shelter, which is like a house where you live. The, the latter is something that is just structural that the government's decided to you know, no longer provide as a right. And what we need more of, quite frankly, we need like huge sweeping government programs to create housing to boost the well-being of people that are living on the street or in these, they would, I think they, I think I saw, I saw something, you know, I call it houseless, not homeless or something, you know, just to kind of reiterate that there's community here and that there's yeah, social yeah. connection here. So that can yeah, exist. Yeah. Home, homeless is of, definitely not the right term. And I know it's yeah. like, Right. Yeah. So, but you it's know, like, or, but, or it's, or I think it's actually, t- it's either like experiencing homelessness or like housing insecurity. Yeah. It's like t- yeah. Housing. Yeah. Yeah. So like housing in, 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 in homes, like, and I, and I, I dig that because you have to make the, the separation, but no matter what the conditions, people in tents, tent cities during, you know, now Skid Row, you know, tenements with, with the Irish and they were first immigrated here, tent cities during the great depression, no matter what the conditions are, people can build community and social connection because they're human and, can, and, and, and that can exist. Even, you know, Japanese in, um, you know, in internment camps, you know, during, during World War uh, II, you know, there was still, they still built relationships, fell in love, laughed, built culture in a way that you just can't, like you can't deprive people of that uh, to, to, to a certain extent because they, they're just human. So you're always gonna find that. So I'm not surprised that that's developed and I'm not surprised that people have connections to that and say, I, well, this is what I don't wanna leave. It's not like that I don't want a better unit of, of, of housing, but it's, it's that, that there's a community here and you know, you're gonna plot me in some community I'm unfamiliar with and that doesn't sound great to me. You know? So I'm yeah. making, so the trade-offs I wanna make or you know, this is what I, what I have in mind. I also get like the other side, like, you shouldn't feel like you're a bad human if you've bought, if you've saved up, you've bought a house, you know, you've dropped $750,000, a million dollars, a million and a half dollars, whatever, a condo house. And then suddenly a tent city pops up. And then suddenly you're, I don't know, you're trying to sell or whatever, and you're totally underwater on your investment. Like, mm-hmm. you know, I think like the progressive world would be like, you're a terrible person for bringing that up. I don't think someone's a parable person for bringing that up. Like, I think it's okay to have like that concern or even to be like, I just had young kids and I'm walking through this area. I know it's mostly safe. I know it's, it's mostly fine, but there are some people here with like mental conditions who aren't right and need help who might not ever do anything, but are like screaming and yelling, (laughs) like running around. And like, maybe that's also not what I anticipated for the experience I wanted my five-year-old to have like maybe at 10 or 15 when I could like properly educate them to understanding nuance or maybe you start young I don't know but like I think it's okay for people to talk about this stuff and not right like immediately then just be look if you're not being empathetic about it then you're you are an asshole but I think it's okay for you to have like some reservations or like be like well it can I think about me too like you know, there, there is a balance where it's okay to think about yourself too as well. Yeah. And you also have to just sort of separate the stigma from what actually is, is going on. There's still stigma on top of the, the idea that people don't have houses or, or uh, don't have housing, live in these communities are there because it's their fault because it's a personal failing because there is some deficiency socially or mentally or, or whatever that they have that put them there. Right. It's sort of the, the, the causation correlation error 
that services the stigma that you put onto them. So if you understand, if, if you're only understanding them through a lens of these stigmas, you're not, you're going to have concerns. You're not, rather than understanding, oh, well, there are, there are more structural reasons of why they are there. And then there's a result of folks yelling or, or being, you know, of some kind of crime of poverty, like that, that happens that, that, that is true, you know, there's extent, but there's a reason why that is. So, you know, you, you got to sort of un stigmatize it a little bit too. Isn't this once again, just a failure of systems, right? Where well, we're, we're like, we're getting stuck pitting these like two sides against each other where it's like, there's the yeah. one side, let, there's the one side that's, let's, let's just, let's get more selfish in this. Let's, let's make it more like binary. There's like the one side that's like the homeless should be able to do whatever they want or people experiencing homeless and like stay off of it and systems or whatever. So just let them be. And the other side being like, I don't want them here. Like I bought here, this shouldn't be how it is. In in both in, in instances, if we make them like more like whatever, yeah. The, the problem actually that's really being exposed is once again, there's not actually a system in place to deal with it. So then once again, you just have people squabbling on the street who can't really do much either way, as opposed to just like because regardless, it is an issue. Like we should actually figure out how people can have housing. We should figure right. out how people can have services. Yeah. Instead of everyone just like yelling over like how much of a sidewalk should they have? Yeah, like, like you, when you, you are so far gone. Argument. When you get to that point, like it's so decontextualized. Once you get to the to the like seventeenth step, where you're like, well, how much sidewalk should be apportioned? You're missing the much larger thing right. about why this is a problem. You know what I mean? So it's like, oh, if we only solve this seventeenth step, you know, we. It, we, we just got to change the culture of this 17th step and we'll be good. Like, nah, like step number one is that there was a huge, huge affordable housing crisis that people don't always connect to the, to the, to the, um, the mortgage crisis of, of, oh, wait, these two things are connected because if you have less just affordable housing in this country. We also treat and, our veterans like shit. And treat our veterans like shit. And then on the other side, you're getting mortgages for no money down and a super and, and a super cheap, um, you know, uh, uh, carrying fee monthly, and you just get a free house, you know, and you get this balloon of houses on the other side. Like these two things are connected. The 08 crisis only happens because part of the problem is the is that affordable housing is going away. So these things are connected to that. So everybody, for the people that feel like we're not interconnected to these other populations in the country, or that we're not like interdependent with others, there are just, just sort of facts and, and studies that show that it's just how that is not true. So I mean, like you, the people who almost are connected to the reason that you're losing your mortgage, like that thing is connected, you know, totally. to, 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 you know what I mean? It's just, it's, it's a bit, it's easier to confine the, the context, like you said. Yeah. Yeah, a hundred percent. So yeah, I don't know. That's that's where I've just kind of been thinking, and of course, not shockingly, we we roundabout just end up back in systems um, <laughs> per usual because that's really what it's about. We just it's so easy to get drawn down and get into these feuds and really want to say the person on the other side is a bad person, and may, yeah. maybe maybe they are misguided, but like at the end of the day, like we got to do a whole yeah, bro. We got to do a whole episode about system failings versus personal failings where do you draw the line i mean mm -hmm. i think that is like the great the great debate of like most of these things when people think about and this goes back problems. into our whole thing of talking about like are all trump voters racist 
Right. There you go. That's this, it. This is it. Which, which that, if you missed us last week, we, we don't believe in that statement, even though no. we do believe some are racist. <laughs> no, 100%. But that's like, but that's just, a, it's an oversimplification. And it's, it's also just, once it, you're putting, it's putting the personal over the system, which is, it just, it's, it's the wrong energy. Yeah, man. And I, goes the, to the parties party thing that you talked about the republican party is one party now it would be two parties back in the day so you're getting this you're getting this complicated coalition where it's just not that simple well the, the road trip's going to continue i'm going to have to starting next week i'm, I'm looping back through the country going to be doing a bit more of the southern route through arizona hey. going up through utah and colorado but then going down through oklahoma and kansas and uh arkansas and so on so so which state getting, are you most excited for? Um, well, Southern Utah is the gem. Utah, I think the Mormons just like were onto something. They were like, we're weird as hell, <laughs> but this state is actually like unbelievably beautiful. So beautiful. Yeah. The, the gem of the car trip thus far has been the Tetons in Wyoming. If anyone's ever been, they know. If not, like, holy shit. But uh, yeah, Southern Utah with like, Zion National Park, Bryce National Park, Moab, Canyonlands, uh, the Grand Staircase. Some of these places, by the way, that like Trump was trying to make smaller and privatize, motherfucker. This is like, it's just un- unbelievably beautiful. But um, I'm also really excited on the second part of the trip, to, or second half, to get uh, drive through Memphis. Never been to Memphis. Really excited about that. Excited to drive through some of the, the rural areas of Arkansas, get a better feel there. And then also spend some time, obviously, with my Tulsa homies in Oklahoma. And then uh, never been to Asheville. It's like a little hippie commune in like Western North Carolina in the in the Blue Ridge Smoky Mountains, which is a beautiful part of this country. So, don't give a shit about Phoenix. Like, <laughs> <laughs> that's right, Phoenix. Phoenix. Suck it. Yeah, Just Phoenix kidding. I suck it. Love Phoenix. I don't. I haven't been to Phoenix. I don't know. How and like maybe I, the, the funny thing is, any time I spend time somewhere, I end up probably loving it too. So I'm sure. <laughs> like <laughs> Phoenix, I, I don't think I would walk away from thinking Phoenix was aesthetically ugly, but I'm sure. Obviously, there's probably amazing people there. Word, word. So, and, and Arizona is a beautiful state. Like true, topography wise. Just, I always think of like Phoenix as mad strip malls and then like corny ass white dudes going to play like golf and going to like trashy like strip clubs and corny like clubs with like women with just everything plasticky. Um, bunch of Dan Marley stands. Yeah. Just a bunch of Dan Marley fanboys. Thunder Dan throwing back to an Thunder early Dan. episode of ours. Hey, with Jesse Eisenberg. It always <laughs> comes back, baby. It always circles back. Um, final thoughts. Are you still on the Biden train? You think he's going to win? 20 some days I out. think, yeah. Well, we'll just keep I doing think, an update. What, what yeah, percentage definitely. are you feeling? Oh, I, well, I'm, I'm uh, 90%. I think Biden will win the votes he needs in order to qualify to be president. But will the system bear mail-in voting, absentee voting, you know, Amy Coney Barrett on the Supreme Court, maybe ruling on the side of Trump, like that, that those things are up in the air, which I'm not 100% sure. But I'm, the, the votes, Biden will have the votes to win the presidency. I'm 90% sure of that. This time in 2016, we had Benghazi, we had emails, and then like, I think we had the Comey letter. We had shit 
that just really polluted the water on Hillary. On top of Hillary being an incredibly hated candidate, on top of her being a female, which is a whole other thing. I just don't think Joe is that hated. I don't think he's that liked, but I just think the hatred for Trump just wins out on this one. It's just, it's just too much frustration. And, you know, I'm like, I'm 80, 20 still. I I still think Mm -hmm. you can't rule. I can't rule him out. You can't rule out the, the power of the cast in this country. You know, the amount of just white people who just, you know, are afraid that this quote unquote radicalism is really a lot worse than they think it actually is. There's plenty of people who don't like Trump, but they, they think this looting is going to be all over the place. And, you know, they think that right. X, Y, and Z that they, they fall into the boogeyman stuff. We know that Joe is a fucking average Joe. He's just a moderate ass dude. Is. Who's not going to like change that much stuff, even though he will be more progressive uh, than most. So, yeah, I think if Joe wins, we're going to have what we think is going to happen, which is like, it's going to be kind of a subpar presidency and like, we'll just feel a little bit better, but like, we're not going to, the progressive base at a minimum won't be fully satisfied, but I I think moderates will be pleasantly surprised. Cause guess what? When you're white and you're a moderate and you're not poor, things relatively in this country work like, like the system yeah. is already working for you. And it's really, it would be really hard for it to not be working for you. It's not as if suddenly we give reparations or other things that the system won't keep working for you. The point is it just will start working for other people. <laughs> and so. Right. And you'll lose your ground relative to those other people, which is maybe what you mostly care about. Right, right. You, you might lose your superiority, but you're not going to lose like your ability to do what you do. Yeah, but deaths of despair, man. Deaths of despair. The mortality rate going up for working class white men in the last decade. Deaths of despair and not for any other group. Why are they drinking themselves to death? Why are they overdosing on drugs? Because that superiority, that caste means so much to just the core of who they are, that they'll drink themselves to death if they understand that that's going away, or even if they perceive it to be going away when it's really not. Deaths of despair. That's the craziest statistic that I've probably heard over the last couple of years that I didn't know. It's a wild deal, though. No, it's a great stat. But the thing is, you know, like, if you're some white poor dude in eastern Oklahoma, you know, you're not thinking about it in a way that's even like racially. All you know is just you're, the world just seems to be passing you by. It's like in a more simplistic way, right? But what that really actually is, is you feeling like you're no longer like what you are. I don't know. It's uh, that's another thing we have to dig into. There, there's a psychology around that. Like yeah. That's of despair. That's of despair. We need an expert on that. Do you need an expert on that? Lots of experts. Yo, holler at us if you know <laughs> no experts on Yo, any of these things. if you're an expert, subscribe first, but then holler at us and come on the pod. Leave us a rating. Send to a friend. <laughs> Help us grow. <laughs> All right, y'all. We'll be back. We're going to start bringing back some, some former guests and friends. So we're a few weeks out, and hopefully this clusterfuck of a nightmare ends, and we bring on someone who we don't love, but 
we at least can start pushing towards hopefully uh, so much more of a humane and empathetic path. So yep. see you next week. Peace. Peace.